Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Last week we heard from uh, Reverend Rob and he started off his morning by saying that he was following the reading plan and so did I this time and he was blessed to have Lamentations as one of his books that he was having to read and I kind of felt the same way when I looked and I saw Ezekiel. And I was at a conference a few weeks ago with our ministry team and one of the pastors or the pastor that was there, Andy Stanley, said uh, there's parts of the Bible that we don't even like to look at. There's parts of the Bible that some people won't even teach. Well, I have to admit, I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in Ezekiel till the last couple of weeks, and I've been looking at it more and more, and, and, and I think it, it will st- still go so well with what Rob said to us last week about knowing people and loving people, no matter what their vanity plate says, right? As he talked about, too fast for you, that red sports car, or whatever it is, well... First of all, I want you to remember Pastor Pat in prayer. Pastor Pat and Julie are away from us again today. They didn't get to go on the trip that they were hoping to go on, but they are away, and I believe that he has improved enough to be able to get out, but he's still fighting something in his system. So I'm going to just ask that through this week that you will just make a concerted effort of prayer on his behalf, physically spiritually, emotionally, all those things that go along when you're sick, if you will. And this morning, I want to talk to you. If I was to title what I want to talk about, it would be a wake-up call. And I'm sure that means different things to everyone in this room. So here's a few things that it means to me in different ways. You know, the first thing when I think of a wake-up call, the first thing I guess that came to my mind was being at a hotel. And I don't know, does anybody still go to a hotel and call the desk and say, I want a wake-up call for such and such a time? Few might do that. If you are, you're probably over 40. Uh, I'm guessing anybody under 40 probably wouldn't even think of doing that. Uh, Another wake-up call that I had was my father was my assistant principal in high school. So he was the disciplinarian of the school, and he was the disciplinarian of our house. And, and I got a call to go to my father's office one day. That's not a very pleasant thing. And I had a bad grade in a class, and I had a trip planned. I was going to go skiing in Colorado. And my father said, well, he didn't say it this way, but here was my wake-up call. If you don't get this grade up, you won't be going on that trip. That was a wake-up call. I, I did get to go on the trip, but how about a police officer with those red lights or red and blue lights pulling up behind you? Have you ever had that? I'm sure none of you have. So let me give you an example of somebody who has. I'm not going to give you any details, but it's happened a couple of times. It's a wake-up call, right? How about a warning from somebody that you respect. For me, it was a coach. He said, be on time or else. 
He was my ninth grade football coach, and he lived in my neighborhood. And if we were there on time, we could ride to practice with him. If you weren't on time, and no matter if you were running down the street and you saw him backing out of his driveway, you were not on time, and he still left. So I had to turn around and go back home and get on my bicycle and pedal to practice. Be on time or else. I used a term with my mother. I called her a name. I still, to this day, and you'll never hear it. I will never tell any of you what that name was. It wasn't profane. I will promise you that. But it was my mom. And she looked at me. And boy, did conviction ever hit me. And I made an apology and I said, you didn't deserve that and nothing like that will ever flow from my tongue again. How about a boss that says one more mistake and you're done? Or an emergency call in the middle of the night, whatever that may be, it could be a health scare, it could be an accident, it could be a whatever it may be, but that call goes and you know, you're just fumbling for the phone and you try to get your brain in gear all of a sudden. I've had that happen to me. Others, I have not, I guess I can't be honest and say that I've had my life flash before my eyes. Some of you may be able to do that, but these are all different types of wake-up calls that have come. Well, in Ezekiel 1, we read about a guy named Ezekiel and, and he had a wake-up call. Ezekiel isn't on the list of history's best-known figures. There aren't too many biographies, or there's not an autobiography that I can read about him other than what I have in Scripture. And he lived in Babylon around 593 B.C., so we're talking a long time ago. Along with other Israelites, he was carried into captivity. He was a prophet in captivity, but he didn't even know it until he was in captivity. He spent the first 25 years of his life in Jerusalem. He was in priestly training when taken captive. It was about 8 to 12 years after Daniel had already been taken captive into Babylon. And both Daniel and Ezekiel were about the same age and just a little bit younger than a prophet named Jeremiah that we heard about. And both of these men, Daniel and Ezekiel, are very influenced by Jeremiah. And so this idea of a vision, it says in, in the scripture in Ezekiel 1, we're going to read it here in just a moment. I think in, in Ezekiel's way of saying it was a very benevolent term. Because I look at, at a vision that came to Jacob, or maybe even a dream. I should say a dream that came to Jacob with angels ascending and descending. You know, he had that, uh, that dream. And, and Isaiah had a vision of God on his throne, high and lifted up. So if those had dreams and those visions, today looking at what Ezekiel had, you might want to term a nightmare, potentially, categorized like that. But in the book, Ezekiel 1, 1, it said that I saw visions of God. And these visions of God were enough to, to wake anybody up from their sleep. 
Ezekiel looked, and I'm just going to kind of summarize a little bit of chapter one. He looked, and there was a whirlwind coming from the north, and a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it. In the center of the fire, there was a gleam like an amber, and the form of four living creatures came from it. And and this was their appearance, it says, that they had a human form, but each of them had four faces and four wings in Ezekiel 1, 4, and 6. The four faces of these creatures symbolize God's perfect nature. These four faces turned in every direction. In other words, each face, each faced a different direction. And our interpretation of that vision is limited because of the mystery that surrounds our God. But what Ezekiel sees is the power and the majesty of God. The four living creatures described as having the faces of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle all portray the character of God. Throughout history, these creatures have symbolically represented certain qualities. A man is the picture of intelligence and understanding. A lion is, is a picture of sovereignty and supremacy. And a lion is the symbol of servitude and sacrifice. And an eagle is the symbol of power and deity soaring over all of creation. The significant thing is that these four present exactly the same qualities of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, he is the king. He's the lion. He's the, if you will, king of the beast, the sovereign of all. In Mark, the gospel of Mark, he's presented as a servant, like the ox, as a servant, servitude. He appears in the gospel of Luke as a man in his intelligence, in his insight, in his understanding of life. And in gospel of John, he's deity. These four reflect the character of Jesus Christ. So we can even go back and say, yes, Jesus Christ is in every book. Maybe not mentioned by name, but we know he's there. The vision of John in Revelation 4, as we heard this morning, parallels this vision of Ezekiel. And after he saw the four living creatures, Ezekiel saw wheels turning, one within another, like a, like a gyroscope is the way I see it in my mind. And, and these wheels, it said, had eyes all around them. The image conveys the idea of God is present everywhere and is able to see all things. Omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, right? As he watched, he also saw a firmament, it said above, shining in splendor. And above the firmament, as he lifted his eyes higher, he saw a throne. And on that throne sat a man, and the man represented God himself on the throne. Hmm. In a similar way, Jesus is revealed, Jesus revealed God in human form and brought us that great message of salvation. And it wasn't just a vision, was it? It's real life. We have a savior. When Ezekiel didn't understand, uh, or while he didn't understand all of these things, even though uh, he didn't perceive the significance of the vision, 
he saw nonetheless the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel saw as clearly as he could the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So let's just look at the end of chapter one, verse 28. It says this, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so is the radiance around him. This is what the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, or of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Now, if you've brought your Bibles and you want to open them, we're going to read a little bit of chapter two. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter two. We're going to look at the first few verses there. But Ezekiel's response here, does it surprise you at all? He's seeing this great vision, this vision that isn't fully understood, especially at the time that he saw it and and all these great things. and, And his response was to fall face down before the Lord. To me, it does make sense in that he saw the awe of God. He saw the power of God. It was very dramatic in what he was seeing in this vision. Ezekiel's response when he saw that was to go face down, to go in a a prostrate position before the Lord because he couldn't do anything else at that point. How would you respond if you would have been in that place? Where would you have been? What would you have done? Have you ever fallen down before the power and the might of God through a a time of prayer, through a a time of being maybe at a retreat or here in service or whatever? It got to a point where his power, his presence was so strong, the right place to be was on your face before him. You've ever realized how great he is, how small you are. Have you ever taken the posture of humility before a holy God? of your face down before him. And in this book, he uses the title Son of Man over 90 times when referring to Ezekiel. The title emphasized the idea of the prophet's humanity and his weakness and reminded him that he was dependent on the Spirit's enabling and uh, the Spirit's enabling power to fulfill what he was called to do. I heard this story the other day and it kind of struck a chord with me in relation to what we're talking about here. I don't know if you remember the former uh, journalist, uh, Tim Russert was his name. He was an NBC News Washington bureau chief. He was a meet the press coordinator. And at one time he was a former altar boy. And he relates a time in his life when he had a private audience with Pope John Paul II. And he says, I'll never forget it. I was there to convince his holiness that it was in his interest to appear on the Today Show. But my thoughts uh, soon turned away from NBC ratings toward the idea of salvation. And as I stood there with the vicar of Christ, he said, I simply blurted out, bless me, Father. And he said, he put his arm around me around my shoulders, and he said, he whispered in my ear, you are the one they call Timothy, the man from NBC? I said, yes, yes, that's me. They tell me that you're a very important man. Taken back, he said, your holiness, there is only two of us in this room, and I'm certainly a distant second. 
And he looked at me and he said, right. <laughs> I kind of thought that was a little funny of Ezekiel here. Experience what we call a theophany, the appearance of God. Only two beings were present. Ezekiel understood his place and the appropriate posture, posture he took was face down before his God. So then let's look at Ezekiel 2 here. Let's read Ezekiel 2, verses 1 through 8. And it said, he said to me, son of man, here we are, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. And the people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words, and do not be afraid. There, though briars and thorns are all around uh, you and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. It was in this posture of humility that Ezekiel heard from God. He said, when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard a voice speaking. And what he heard... My first point today is stand up. That's what he heard. He said, son of man, stand up on your feet. Kind of like an army drill sergeant barking out the order of attention. God wanted Ezekiel to be fully alert and hear what orders he was about to receive. He said, stand up. The second thing that he told him was listen up. He said, and I will speak to you. And he spoke to me. The spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I listened to the one who was speaking to me. It was God's way of saying, now that I have your attention, listen to me. I've got something I want to say to you. So put on your, your listening ears. Hear what I have to say and and." I don't want you to miss what instructions I have for you. Ezekiel was empowered by the Spirit of God in order to pro proclaim God's message. And then, and same today, now, God requires that his people be empowered by his Holy Spirit in order to preach the gospel effectively to all nations, it says. We're to be able to teach it where we are and where we're able to go. So we've got to stand up. We've got to listen up. Third thing is we've got to go up. Son of man, I am sending you too. God was saying, Ezekiel, the task that I have for you requires action. Have you ever noticed that our God is a God 
of action. There's an action component to the call of God. Rarely can we stay where we are and do what we've always been doing and fulfill a call of God upon our lives by just sitting. Ezekiel came to realize this, and so must we. You have to stand up. You've got to listen up. You've got to go up, and you've got to learn to speak up. He said these children are obstinate. They're hard-hearted. They don't, they're not going to listen. But I'm still giving you a message, and you're still supposed to speak it. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. God said, I've got a message for my people. You will communicate the message. It's not your message. It's whose? It's my message. Your job is to deliver it. Whether they listen or not, whether you're afraid to or not, God's truth is not dependent on human response. God would not judge Ezekiel for how well others responded to the message, but for how faithful he was to presenting it. Ezekiel was a spokesperson for God. If you will, he was his mouthpiece. God appointed Ezekiel as, and you read in Ezekiel 3 as you continue on, I'm sure you've taken time to read this, that he was put as a watchman over the house of Israel. He was a watchman that stood on the city wall and warned people of the approaching danger. Ezekiel's role was to be a spiritual watchman warning the people of coming judgment. See, there's a fundamental connection between being a watchman and warning, being, uh, between being a spokesperson and speaking, uh, between being a mouthpiece and opening our mouths to let the words come out. And then lastly, he was to open up. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Ezekiel 2 and 8. And it also is in verse, or chapter 3, verse 2. So he said, I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. I find it interesting that the name Ezekiel means God is strong or God makes strong. For him to be strong, he had to feed on the nourishment of God and God's word. For the word of God, we know, is life-giving. Just as we need spiritual food for physical life, folks, we need God's word for our spiritual life. It's equally as important, maybe even more important for us. When we digest God's word, we find that not only does it make us stronger in our faith, but its wisdom begins to sweeten our lives. This means doing more than simply giving God's message a casual glance, you know, a word for the day to keep the devil away. No, that isn't going to work. If, if you're spending time and maybe you use version and, and you have the scripture of the day, I'm glad you're reading that. That's not enough. If you use that, now you start to study it and look at it and begin to apply it. That's great. But you know what? That's not just enough to get a scripture day. Now, his word's powerful enough, but I just know how we are. We need to get into his word, and we need to take time to read and study and continue to look. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do and to just start there. If that's where you're starting, God bless you. 
But for many that I know and looking out in this place, we need to continue to put more and more of his word in us because we need God's word. Just like physical food for our physical body, we need his spiritual word for our spiritual body. It means making the word a part of our lives, like eating it like a balanced diet that sustains and nourishes us to health and to productivity. This was Ezekiel's call to be a prophet. He had a message from God to tell, a message of warning and judgment. And often prophets had to tell it to people that weren't very excited about the message that they were bringing. And it wasn't a pleasant time. They were captive. They were exiles in Babylon. And for the prophet, this prophet that had to lay 390 days on one side bound up. And then when he finished that, he had to flip over and go another 40 days on the other side and eat food off an iron that had, eat food from a fire that had animal dung. And it wasn't supposed to be animal, but Ezekiel said, really, God, how about, because it was going to be human. He said, no, okay, you can use animal dung, but that's how he was. And who would want to be a prophet after reading this story? Not me. Why would someone want to share a message to a group of people who I'm already warned saying they're not going to listen to you anyhow? I'm going to take this bad news to people that already are hurting, that don't like you. And I'm going to tell them, well, you're going to have harder times ahead. What ambassador? Think about this as an ambassador. Pastor Pat talked about an ambassador a couple weeks ago. Going to live in a country as a representative of his homeland, but his homeland never sent them. How effective would you be as an ambassador if you were never sent, if you were never given a message? What soldier would go to a war-torn country risking his life and his limb without having any orders to go? How about a missionary that would go to a foreign country, endure the pain of being a missionary, the hardships of being a missionary without ever being commissioned to go? I have a book on my shelf in my office. It's written by Oz Guinness, and it's called The Call. It explains this. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. See, Ezekiel was called. He was, if you will, sent. He was ordered, commissioned, ordained, if you will. He liked he, like all of the called people of God, could never choose to do something like that without the calling coming from God. They were created for the task. He was created for that. It got to a point where for Ezekiel now being called and being summoned in the way that he was, he had to do this. 
It was burning in him. It was that he was like, Lord, I just want to honor you and all that I do. Even here as a, I was, he was priestly. He was getting ready to be put into a place of priesthood in the tabernacle when all of that was taken away and he was whisked away into exile. last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is our response to all this. Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, what does this all have to do with me? I'm not a prophet. I'm not going on the mission field. I don't want to be a pastor of a church. So what's the point? Why are you talking to me about this? Does anyone remember the name Jake and Elwood? The Blues Brothers? In the movie, The Blues Brothers, there are a couple of ex-convict wannabe musicians trying to raise money for an orphanage that they lived in. And anytime they were asked about the work, they had the same standard response. We're on a mission from God. (laughs) Now, I am here to say I'm not promoting their lifestyle. I'm using this as an example. They believed. I think in this movie, it's a crazy movie. Don't go rent it. If you haven't seen it, don't go see it. It's very funny but it's not probably the best movie for you to go see. But anytime they were asked, that standard response came up, we're on a mission from God. They always said it, and I think the way that they portrayed it, they truly believed it. The very idea that these two inept, unworthy human beings could be on a mission from God was was really kind of a joke of the story. But I have a question for you. What's the story of your life? Are you on a mission for God? See, God puts a calling on our lives. He's calling us to be the person or the the individual that will profess who he is in our lives to those that are around us that need to hear it, to need to know that there is more hope in their life than they can ever believe that there could be if they don't know Jesus Christ. God calls, God's calls are not exclusive to pastors, to missionaries. They are to plumbers. They are to managers. They are to electricians, doctors, lawyers, teachers, chemists, salespeople, housewives, whatever you want to add into this category. He calls some to secular vocations and others to sacred vocations. But a calling is not something reserved for those only going in to the ministry. It becomes a ministry. Granted, we don't hear probably a lot about a calling anymore because our society has become so educated and we talk about career. But a calling is something that God chooses for me. Calling is something that God chooses for you. A career, I really do get to make a choice in that. I could could choose a career. 
but I don't get to, I don't get to choose this calling. Now, well, I, I, I guess I can make the decision if I'm going to listen to it or not, but I don't want to live that miserable lifestyle of not listening to the call of God on my life. A career may promise status, money, or power. A calling generally doesn't promise all of that. Status, money, or power. But it's a mission and it's an opportunity to be used for God. A career may give you upward mobility, may even help you end in retirement. I don't know that a calling ever ends till the day you die. Work as unto the Lord and not unto man. The rewards of a career may be very uh, visible, but they are going to be temporary. The results of a calling may never be seen this side of eternity. Often we think that ministry recovers, requires a calling and the marketplace is a choosing a career, but that's not true. It is quite possible to turn a ministry into a career that focuses on advancement and achievement. On the other hand, it's quite possible to make a business a calling that is truly done to serve God and others. So I just want to challenge you today. Where are you in that spectrum? Do you know that there's a call on your life? That God has called you to be his witness in this world. Father, I pray right now for every one of us that are in this room that, Lord God, we would hear, oh, Lord God, with our spiritual ears as much as our physical ears, Lord God, the calling that you have called us all to is, Lord, maybe none of us have had it, and probably none of us have had it as dramatic as Ezekiel had with the vision and all that went on and being a captive in a foreign land that was very anti-God. But Lord, you called him at that time and in that place. Lord, I ask that you continue to move upon this group of people Lord God, if they're sitting in this sanctuary today, if they're watching uh, on the stream, Lord God, that they would know that they would know that the calling of God is upon those that have made them their Lord and their Savior, and that, Father, that we would operate in our calling. I just ask it now in Jesus' mighty and precious name, Lord. Amen.